The following message was recorded as part of the morning worship celebration of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in Eatonton, Georgia. More information about the ministries, staff, and worship offerings of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church can be found on our website at www.lopc-pca.org. go back to 1973, a group of men gathered together to start what was first called the National Presbyterian Church and very quickly changed its name to the Presbyterian Church in America, our denomination. So we're still a relatively young denomination. Let me give you a glimpse into who came to that meeting, that very first assembly. There were ruling elders and ministers who represented about 41,000 communing members across the South. That number today has grown to something over 350,000 by God's grace. Also, there were about 260 churches represented. We have almost 1,500 today, and we reach from coast to coast. God has blessed our denomination. In that very first gathering of the Presbyterian Church in America, they made the decision to support 11 missionaries, some of those men I know. And they were men and women who'd given their life to the Lord and wanted to be used overseas. And the founding fathers of our denomination put the arms of this new denomination around them, and they were our first missionaries. Today we have something over 360 full-time missionaries around the world. We have something over 6,000 of our people who go out each year on short-term missions through our denomination, and many, many more who go out through other agencies. The men who started this denomination, most of them are either with the Lord today or retired from ministry. I joined the denomination about 10 years after they began in 73. So I'm really second generation. I know my white hair makes you think I'm first, but I'm really second generation. And it dawned on me just recently as I was looking at some national statistics that those dear brothers who started this denomination had two things in mind. They believed in the inerrancy of this book. And they wanted to have it taught as God intended, as him speaking to us. I believe that in the most liberal way, and so do they. The second thing that was a passion for those founding fathers is missions. I've learned over the years we can get enthusiastic about missions, and we can give our money and our prayers and sometimes even go overseas. The challenge comes when you do it with your next-door neighbor. The challenge comes when you walk down the street and knock on somebody's door and you don't know them. But those founding fathers wanted us and their church that they were creating by the grace of God to be a church that did personal and corporate missions here and all around the world. I think I read somewhere that that's what God wants. And they were trying to do what God wanted. Now, let me tell you the concern and why I open with this. Our denomination has stalled out in its growth. 
Southern Baptist denomination has stalled out and has actually declined in the number of ministers, number of people who attend church, and their membership. Folks, that's a scary thought. The Southern Baptists have been on the cutting edge with 16 million members, and they're the ones who've seen the most number of people come to faith. And all of that's changing. Our founding fathers have handed off to us the mantle for us to continue, for us to have a passion for the word and a passion for missions. And quite honestly, so many of us are spending our energy and our resources on something other than missions. The passage I have today is entitled, What Do We Do Now? You have an acting senior pastor. We're going to be doing lots of internal things to help our church get healthier. Some of those you'll be aware of pretty quickly. Some of those it'll take some time. But that's going to happen. Please trust that's going to happen. Your elders brought me in to help make that happen. But what about you all? How do you fit into this? You're the church. I want to show you this morning in Scripture, and again next Sunday when we come to communion, how you all fit in. I want you to look with me at the Scriptures. I'm going to start reading from Acts, the second chapter, and I'm going to read the 37th through the 41st verses. And I'd like you to follow along and keep your Bibles open in your lap and keep looking back to see why I say the things that I say this morning. Listen carefully, God is about to speak to us. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. May God bless the reading of his word. You're going to hear me talk about my family a good bit, but I want you to know something as I do that I have permission. We have a daughter who lives in Houston, Texas, who works in full-time Christian ministry. Her name is Kathy. And when Kathy was a little girl, every time she had to go to the doctor's office, she'd start throwing a little fit. By the time she'd get into the waiting room, she was crying and didn't want to go in. And it was all about a needle. Now, I know none of you have ever been concerned about getting a shot, have you? Well, Kathy didn't want any part of that. So she got to the point pretty quickly where she'd just pass out. Well, the staff liked that because she wasn't a moving target anymore. (laughs) And they made sure when she came in that she didn't fall and hurt herself because they knew she was going to fall. And that went on for a long time. Well, Kathy grew up. She got married, had children, 
became a mature adult. We're out visiting she and her husband, Ray, in Houston, and Kathy just casually mentioned to her mom, she said, I got to stop by the doctor's office today. Would you like to go with me? And Linda said, sure, and they went off together. When they came back, the topic of discussion was what happened at the doctor's office. Kathy went in. They gave her a shot. She came walking back out, this mature woman, and said to her mom, you remember when I was little how I used to pass out? And Linda said, oh, yes, I remember. She said, well, I've grown out of all that. And Linda said, fine. And they walked over to pay the bill, and she opened up her wallet and passed out. (laughs) All over the floor. I want you to know there are things that we react to and sometimes try as hard as we want, we still react. Well, there's some spiritual things that happen in our life that cause a very natural reaction. And folks, if we don't react normally to that spiritual stimulus, something going on over here that shouldn't be going on. Understand? Okay, I want you to look with me at the first couple of verses. I want you to look at 37 and 38. And what they do is they start to explain to us about the piercing of the heart. A little background reminder. Jesus was crucified for us on a cross, atoned for our sins. The only thing that remained was for the Holy Spirit to move on us, bring us into a relationship where that atoning death would apply to us individually. And as you and I call out and say, I accept Jesus, the sinner that I am, the blood of Christ is applied, and your sins are washed away from the mind of God. Isn't that beautiful? That's already happened to most of us. Well, Jesus was buried. He arose on the third day. Forty days later, he ascends to heaven. Before he goes, he says to his disciples, I want you to go back into Jerusalem, even though that is a very hostile environment. That's where they killed me, and that's where they'd like to kill you. He said, I want you to go back in, and I want you to gather together, and I want you to wait, because I have made a promise. The Holy Spirit's going to come abide with you. Think about that. Never in the history of the human race had the Holy Spirit come to abide permanently with anybody. He would come for a season. He'd work through a prophet, but he didn't stay permanently with that person through their whole life. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to be with you until the close of the age. And the way I'm going to do that is the spirit that proceeds from me and from God is going to indwell you as a believer and be with you no matter where you go, no matter what you do. He's going to be there with you. The disciples did as they were told. And I would think if it had been me, I would have snuck into Jerusalem at night in the dark. And I would have gone to that upper room and sealed that door so nobody could find me or know I was up there. Because it truly was that kind of hostile environment. While they're in the upper room, Scripture so beautifully paints a picture. The Holy Spirit descends on those disciples. It's described as the Spirit of God like a fire licking 
its way into the room. The sound of rushing air that is so loud that people outside of that upper room can hear it in the streets of Jerusalem. And the Spirit of God does exactly what Jesus promised. The Spirit of God comes on them and fills them. And while that's happening in an upper room, a mass of people gather and are standing out in the streets. And we know some of their thoughts. They thought there's a party going on. They thought somebody had too much to drink. They had all kind of human explanations for what they were hearing. And then under the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter and the other disciples come down the steps and walk out into the street into that mass of people who just a month earlier would have taken their life given the opportunity. Let me stop for just a minute. If God asks us to do something, be assured he will take care of us. If God asks us to do something, he will prepare the way for us to do it. He's not asking us to go out under our own power. He is always going to be with us because he's called us to do something and he's going to enable us to do that. So here Peter is going out into the midst of this mass of people who aren't happy campers when they see them. And he begins to preach an unthinkable sermon. He says, you who crucified the Christ. That's pretty much in your face, isn't it? How did he get to be so brave all of a sudden? This is the same man who said, I didn't know Jesus. You remember? What a transition. You know what the pivot in that transition is? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in him. If you read on through that passage, you'll see that the people were pierced by the sermon. The Holy Spirit took it and applied it to them and pierced their hearts. I repeat, when your heart is pierced by the Lord, there's a very natural reaction that ought to take place. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to always happen that way. If you look on down at the 39th or 37th and 38th verses, you'll see the reaction. The people call out and they say, well, what do we do now? They're saying, tell us where to go. Tell us what to do. Something's happening inside of us now. How do we express that? How do we get on board? And that's a very natural response. Just as our daughter responded to the needle in the piercing of her skin, when our hearts are pierced, there ought to be a response. The response was very simple. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I was sitting in the church a few years ago listening to a, a very good Sunday school lesson by a ruling elder, and he made a great point out of saying, You must repent and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Folks, that's bad theology. You know why that's bad theology? Our salvation is not conditioned by anything we do. We don't have to be repentant to be saved. We have to be 
called by God, regenerated and under the power of his Holy Spirit respond. But we don't have to repent. You know where where repentance fits in? That's what born-again people do. They have a new heart and they want to repent. They want to please God. They want to be used by God. And they become new people in Christ. That's where the repentance fits in. It's the result, not a condition of salvation. So Peter says to them, here's what you do. You repent and be baptized. Why? They have already come under the power of the Holy Spirit. And to be baptized, he's saying you ought to wear as an outward sign both to yourself and to God and to other people that something life-changing with eternal implications has happened to you. It's the joy of a person to come forward and say, I'd like to be baptized. Because something has happened in here that's being expressed externally. And he says, for the forgiveness of your sins. You know one of the corners that you and I need to turn? If you're walking around and you're stooped over in life and burdened by the guilt of the sins you've already committed, you need to shuck that. Because God already has. He's not keeping account, so you ought to quit keeping account. Once you get into his family, you have been forgiven of your sins. And the blood of Christ forgives in past, present, and future. You understand? You're a new person. So don't beat yourself up. Instead, be a repentant, baptized person who's part of the family of God and walk in the spirit and give the spirit the freedom to lead your life. And life will be very different. Did you hear that little formula? That's an important formula of how to live life to its fullest as God intended. I'm reminded of Acts 1.8. We've been told that God has put his Holy Spirit in us that we might be witnesses. And that we might be a witness under the power of his Holy Spirit right here in our state, in our country, and around the world. With great purpose, God has given his Spirit to us and said, Here's what you ought to do as you react to being a born-again person. And somehow, as is evidenced by what's happening in our country, somehow we, the church, are not reacting like we ought to. We ought to do what Acts 1.8 says. He's already given his spirit to us. He's already commissioned us. If you're waiting on him to tell you what to do, he's already done it. He's already said, I want you to be a witness wherever you go. When you're at work, when you're at play, when you're by yourself in the privacy of your own thoughts, I want you to be mine. If you look on down to verse 39, there's a promise that's given. It's a wonderful promise. He said, the promise I'm giving you about the Holy Spirit is a promise that applies to you, to your children, to people who are far off. Well, 
you love your kids just like Linda and I love ours. Our kids love their kids, and what you want is what's best for them. And God said, I've got a promise for you. I'm going to work through you if you'll react properly. And I'm going to work in your family. And I'm going to work in the people you meet. I'm going to work with the people who are near to you and the people who are far off. And what he's saying is to these folks who typically were Jews, become Christians, he's saying, I'm not just going to work in your family, and I'm not just going to work among Jews. I'm even going to reach out to the remotest parts of the world, and I'm going to call the people into a relationship with me for eternity that I choose to call because I'm God. That's the game plan. That's how it's supposed to work. And he says, I want you to know that promise has been made. And I'm going to do that. You know where we get confused? We think that somehow if we explain our theology to somebody, they'll come to know Jesus. Folks, that's not true. You talk to them after they become a believer about what the scriptures teach about our theology. You don't set a bunch of rules in front of them and say, if you'll do this and do this and do this, those aren't conditions of salvation. They weren't when you were called, and they weren't when I was called. He loved me with all my dirty rags, and that's how he's loved you. So we should never put those things as precursors to coming into a relationship. Keep it straight. You and I are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Sinners saved by grace. Amen? That's what it's all about. And the church needs to, I think, get refocused on our purpose. God does the persuading. That is not your job or mine. You want to lift a burden when you try to share Jesus? Say, Lord, I'm here as a tool to be used by you if you choose to use me. And if the person doesn't just jump up and down and say, I want to be baptized, I accept Christ, don't get discouraged. You're not the one who does the calling. He does. He says that in that verse. So when we start clearing these things up, we can be used in the way that he wants us to be used. You know, I, I know a lot of folks in lots of different denominations who are godly people who really love Jesus and who are totally ineffective in sharing Christ with other people. And i got to believe it's because we're focused on the wrong things. We need to focus on grace. We need to focus on love. We need to focus on really caring about another human being and their eternal salvation. And when we do that, things change. And God can use us so much more effectively. And then the whole process of sanctification kicks in, and that's where the church can really do a good job, particularly the Presbyterian church. We understand our Bible, and we can share that with other people. But the good news first. You understand? It's so important to make that little bit of a transition and to get our message clear for other people. If you look on down in the 40th verse, he says, 
part of the benefit of this is we're going to get you saved from this perverse generation. Do I need to define for you what a perverse generation is? I don't, do I? All you got to do is walk outside that door. Hopefully you have to walk out the door. Walk outside that door and just get into a conversation or listen to what's going on on the radio or in television or in books. What's all around us. It is darkness spiritually. And God has touched us with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we shun that world? No, we penetrate it with the light. We go out there to proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior. Without fear, without trembling. But understanding that we are not supposed to be a part of that. We don't buy into that. We learn to say no to the things we ought to say no to because we know what pleases God. So we withhold ourselves from that perverse generation. When I think about what's going on all around us, and it's not just in our country, it's all around the world. It's been going on from the very beginning of time. I like to call it secular humanism because it kind of catches the essence of what's happening. It's not about God, it's about people. It's not about God being at the center of the universe, it's about us being at the center. It's not about trying to please God, it's about trying to be pleased. And you know what that smacks of? Original sin. That is precisely what Adam and Eve did when God was showing them grace and mercy and love. Put them in a paradise promised to take care of them and said, there's just one thing. I want you to be obedient to me and let me be God. And the way we're going to put that to a test is I'm going to put a tree, not an apple tree. I'm going to put a tree out in the garden and I want you through self-discipline not to eat of that one tree. And that's the way you can affirm Adam and Eve that I'm God and that you're acknowledging me as your God. So when you see people building themselves up, people demanding that life rotate around them, what you're seeing is original sin, nothing new about it, saying, I'm important and I don't need God. And it's happening in a multitude of different ways in our country. The only tool that I know of that will address that is for you and I to share Jesus with people. And by his grace, when they come to faith, it'll reverse this process. And if it doesn't, look at all the people that we've met and witnessed to that we're going to spend eternity with. It's a win-win situation if we'll be obedient. Wouldn't you be shocked, just absolutely shocked, if people started gathering in the parking lot and all of a sudden, there are several thousand, maybe 3,000 people out there. And I and the elders of your church see them, and we walk out, and one of us starts to preach, as Peter did. And suddenly, the 3,000 people accept Jesus and join the family of God today. Wouldn't that be something to see? Hey, folks, it's possible. It's possible. It just starts with you and one person at a time.
you ever read the story about the starfish on the beach? And a man gets up every morning and walks out and starts picking up the starfish and throwing them back into the water. Somebody walks up and says, what are you doing? He said, I'm putting the starfish back in the water. The man said, you're not making any difference at all. Look at all the starfish. He said, I am to the ones I put back in the water. You understand? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been called to do something that nobody else on this earth has been called to do. Not the politicians in our country or any country. Not the parent-teachers organizations. Not the civic clubs. Not the political parties. Not even the Tea Party. Nobody else has been commissioned to take the good news of Jesus Christ from inside the walls of our church and to integrate it into the society that you mix in. Just us. And he's already said, I have given you the power to do that through my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to mix with you, and I'm going to help you. Want to see something beautiful happen to our church? Absolutely beautiful? Be available. And let God use you. Don't make an excuse. Don't be afraid. Be available. Next Sunday, installment number two on what you can do. Let's pray together. Father, if we're comfortable with the way we live and it doesn't include personal evangelism, please, through the nudging of your Holy Spirit, get us out of our comfort zone. If we're not living by faith, Lord, and doing what you want, and we're trying to live by our own wits and our own bank accounts, please get our attention and help us to be available to you that you might use us however you want to use us. If we've never shared Jesus with someone else, help us to rethink, Lord, how we came to faith and look for an opportunity that you give to share that with somebody else. Thanks for our time in your word, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be your church. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.